This is On The Story. I'm News 10 ABC's Trishna Begum. Every night, I get to tell people stories, but there's always more. I wish I could fit into every piece. That's where this podcast comes in. Each week, we'll dive into a topic with the newsmakers, experts, and the people who can tell the story the best. Welcome to Episode 9, The Red Bookshelf. So we're talking today to a very interesting man, Paul Collins Hackett. He is the executive director of The Red Bookshelf. He actually likes to go by Batman, believe it or not, and I'll let him tell you why. Paul is super passionate about the mission of the Red Bookshelf. It's a nonprofit literacy program that gives away free books to children. They have Red Bookshelves set up throughout the city of Albany where kids can come grab a book and take it home, no questions asked. Paul will discuss their mission, how they were able to add on during the pandemic, and looking ahead, how he wants to reach more kids in the city. And you'll also hear his thoughts about some of the violence that took place last summer and how he thinks the Red Bookshelf can make an impact. Hello. Hey, Paul. All right, we got it. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm better than some, worse than others. Okay. Nice way to put it. Let's start with your title at the Red Bookshelf. So my title at the Red Bookshelf is executive director, but my title in the community and with the city is Batman. Batman. How did you get that title? Um, well, it becomes, it's a, a testament to my dedication and, and what I do. So, you know, I'm born and raised in Albany. And for me, I take care of my city the same way Batman takes care of Gotham. Also, you know, Batman has his Batman and Robin. I keep young people around me because I'm really old. It may not look like it, but I'm really old. So I have to have young people, you know, ready to, to keep it going. Do you mind answering either your age or uh, uh, give us a little estimate? Yes, um, I'm 36, you know. Oh, you're not old. Are you kidding me? Listen, when you work with eight-year-olds, 36 <laughs> is ancient. They're like, you still work? I'm supposed to retire? I'm 36. I just turned 35 and it's totally fine. 30s are the new 20s, right? No, I say that. I'm like, now that I'm 30, I actually have money to do the stuff I wanted to do when I was in my 20s. Like Exactly, exactly. If anybody's listening to this and they're young, wait till you get to your 30s. That's when life starts. That's it. You know, it really is. So I agree with you. Okay. But, you know, <laughs> the, kids, the kids, they they're the ones that, you know, tell me they count my grades and then they guess an age and the age that they guess is always horrible it's all 60 I'm like what are you talking about like it's all but, about perspective yeah. exactly so for my robins you know I keep my robins with me and then also you know Batman doesn't have powers in the comics you know he's just a guy who plans you know he makes use of his resources he coordinates you know and that's what I do and as far as our organization, you know, we're, we're an incredible organization. We're very impactful, but we're also not the Red Cross with billions of dollars and this, that, and the third. So we have some friends who have superpowers, you know. I know a Superman or two, but for me, I'm Batman. I organize. I coordinate. You know, I take care of Gotham. I have my Robins. And for me, that's that's the the realistic part of it, you know, because my community involvement, you know, I'm on police reform stuff, um, school district stuff. I do this. I do food fund drives. I do, you know, business one-on-one workshops. We do everything. But the idea is that if we plant these seeds as superheroes in the young people we work with, in 10 years, what happens? What happens when all these kids believe they're superheroes and want to help everybody, and they're all running for common council, and they're all running for mayor, and they're all running for judges? 
what what culture does that create in our community when our kids want to be superheroes and act like it? Sure. Tell us a little bit about the Red Bookshelf and how you got involved. The Red Bookshelf um, is a nonprofit that was founded um, by Rachel and Mary Beth um, 10 years ago. And what they wanted to do is make sure that young people had access to books and that they're motivated to read and that we support that. The more we normalize that behavior and kind of create that culture of reading across the city, the more beneficial it is for our young people and the more likely they are to read on their own without us having to force it down their throats. You know, no kid likes to be told what to do. But, you know, we realize when we go out there with our books and we say, hey, listen, all these books are free. You take whichever one you want. There's a moment of empowerment that happens there. You know, the young people say, oh, okay, well, I want this one or I want that one. And then when they select something that they want to read, they're more inclined to do it without, you know, parents chasing them down and hounding them. And you're going to be on punishment if you don't. It just changes the approach. So for 10 years, um, Rachel and Mary Beth have been placing our red bookshelves all across the city. So we have some in schools. We have some in doctor's offices. This year, we actually expanded to barbershops as well. So we have some bookshelves in barbershops. So if someone's sitting there, you can just get some free books while you're waiting and just read. And that's the access piece. You know, we want to make sure that every kid has access to books when they're at home. And then the other part we do is motivation and engagement. So we have different workshops and things. And that's kind of what I bring to the table. Different workshops, different ideas, different ways to practice literacy in a fun way. Because again, when it's fun, we don't have to beg them to do it or force them to do it. You know, so for me, it's very different when I say, hey, guys, read for 15 minutes each day. And then Spider-Man says, hey, everybody, I need you to read 15 minutes each day. They listen to Spider-Man more than they listen to me. So we go with what works, you know, but in that way, it's also fun, you know, so it's fun. We have different workshops. And then for our older kids, we have some new initiatives like uh, we do this workshop called Views. And in that workshop, the young people we had, we ran it with some teens, all the teens from Albany High and other places, they write the script, they write the dialogue, you know, and we work with them on developing that script and editing and everything else. And then they shoot the entire movie themselves. So wow. for us, young people are able to come in, write a film, shoot the film, go for it. But for us, they're practicing literacy even then, you know, so we're attaching them, we're meeting them where they're at, where things that they think are fun. And we're just allowing greater access and allowing it to happen while we focus on literacy. Yeah. So in that way, we started out with the bookshelves. That's kind of level one. They're everywhere. We're expanding. So there's free books available. We're getting everywhere. And then the other piece is the more we normalize and have the older people and parents and families reading, now there's a different culture. How big of an issue is literacy in Albany and in the neighborhoods that you're putting these bookshelves? Yeah. I mean, literacy is absolutely a, a high priority issue. I mean, it's always been an issue, especially in um, underrepresented schools and populations. Um, I'll say underestimated schools and populations. You know, I don't like to refer to them as underserved um, or under-resourced or things that are a deficit-based language. You know, I, I like to say that, you know, they're underestimated because given these opportunities and skills and resources, We've seen that all these people, you know, will rise to it and take advantage of these things. So outside of the general necessity of what we do, I think the pandemic has obviously made an increased importance on our efforts, you know. So now with the school year being so up in the air and in flux, summer activities and all that, you know, supplementary educational programming 
is more important now than it's ever been. Absolutely. So for, you know, we're definitely making sure that we partner with the schools, we partner with summer camps, because we're going to be taking these things to each and every summer camp. And again, if we're planting seeds all summer about who's a superhero, how you do this, and we do that in the fall and we keep going, you know, this is how we change the future, in all honesty. I want you to discuss um, that idea of planting the seed. I remember when we were volunteering with the Red Bookshelf, it was a couple of years ago before the pandemic, um, and a bunch of people from News 10 came to help bind the books. But Mary Beth had mentioned to us how crucial it was to get kids reading from a very early age, because the earlier you start, the more likely you are to want to read and again it's that sort of self-motivation for us that third grading reading age is super critical because up until that point you're learning how to read but for the most part after third grade you're learning to actually comprehend and you're learning topics and you're expected to be able to move forward in that way but if you don't have that foundation and you don't actually know how to process how to recognize words if you don't have that familiarity then you can't do that so for us, we focus on younger kids, usually third grade and below, so that we can give them that foundation, those building blocks moving forward that they'll be able to do whatever they want to do. And for us, you know, we make the tangible connections between what we're doing and career path. So even in our, our views workshop, we had this guy, he's a producer on NFL films and he's from Albany. So he came on and he said, hey, listen, when I got this job, I didn't know anything about film. The only thing they wanted was someone who could write and who could tell a story. And we said, guys, you know, if you look at that, the idea of writing and telling a story is everywhere. If we look at, you know, a grant proposal when you're applying for funding, you have to tell a story and create a narrative. You know, when you're in an election and you're running for election, you give a picture of what you would paint, of what you would do, and you create a narrative and a story. So these stories and narratives are all around you. And learning how to create these stories, how to craft them, how to translate them, write them, and make them accessible in a professional way. Those are all the skills that we're trying to build so that people see the value long term. And it all comes back to reading being the building blocks of whatever it is that you want to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we're able to do that and kind of demonstrate that. One of the other things we're super happy about is... Uh, there's a guy who does basketball programs, um, Coach Hood in Albany, and he has Hood's House of Hoops and stuff like that. And he has incredible young men, you know, they can dunk out the gym and they can shoot threes and do the cross, all the good stuff. But at the end of their sessions, he has them stop and pick up books and read for 15 minutes. Nice. Now that is a very different message from a very different messenger. When the kids, if I'm a five-year-old, I see this kid do a windmill dunk and he's LeBron James to me. And then I see him reading. Oh, you know, so that's, that's another way of us planting those seeds. You know, the more we do that, it happens organically, the more likely it is to become normalized. I, I want to talk to you about this past year. Uh, things had to shift. Um, plans had to get canceled or change. How did the pandemic affect the mission of the Red Bookshelf? It slowed us down a little bit at first, you know, we had to figure out how to pivot because again, when a lot of our bookshelves that have all these free books on them, if they're located in schools and doctor's offices, those places were closed. So people didn't have access to the books that usually, you know, were given away 500 on this shelf, 500 on that shelf. 
And then we went down to zero. And we were like, wait, these kids aren't getting books. Our, our incredible co-founders are so dedicated that when that happened, they bought these old school uh, radio flyer red wagons. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you pull. They filled them up with books. And then they went to the neighborhoods where our shelves usually are. And they just started canvassing and just giving away books and just, hey, anybody, stopping at parks and just giving away books. And that's actually the time that I came on board. Because when I came on board, you know, my first instinct was, it's 2020. No kids really want to read books. They're going to be on their game systems. They're going to be playing, I don't know, Pokemon, Fortnite, whatever happens. Like, nobody cares about books. I was wrong. I was so wrong. And I was able to see that I was wrong, which was the best part. Because when I went out there and we went to the playground, there was a kid who was playing his Nintendo Switch. And when we bought the wagon and we said, everything's free, bro. You take what you want. He put that switch down and he ran over to us. And he actually said, he said to me, do you have any books on the Boston Tea Party? I was like, uh, yes, we do. Here you go. You know what I mean? I didn't expect that. But for me, that also taught me the lesson of don't underestimate people. Don't, don't make the assumption that these kids don't want books. Don't make the assumption that they're not going to read. That's me. I need to get out of my own way, you know? And I was able to see the kids wanted them. And when the pandemic hit, they made the pivot to make sure they were direct to consumer, you know? And that was an incredible thing that they did. And that just, it warmed my heart. There were people pulling over in their cars and they were like, hey, are these free books? And I'm like, this is a thing? Okay, let's go. But I, I see there's value and the community buys in we'll bring more and more books every single day you know that's that's great that that is a fantastic story about the playground and the nintendo switch and it's what and it's wonderful that you were wrong i gotta say yeah i was i'm, I'm not usually happy to be wrong yeah. but i definitely was in this case Good. and actually we saw something similar um in Giffen, you know, one of the elementary schools that we work with, we had a bookshelf. Um, it was on one floor next to, it was outside the nurse's office. And when we put the shelf there, visits to the nurse's office went up. I think it was like 800% or something ridiculous like that. And then when we talked to them, we said, you know, what's going on? Is everything okay? You know, they said, well, we have a really weird phenomenon going on. They said, people, they, the kids come to our office. They say, listen, you know, my, my elbow hurts. I need to be here for a while. Then after about a half an hour, they go, are you okay? The kid says, yeah, my head feels a lot better. And they were like, huh? So what we did was we ended up putting a bookshelf on every floor of the school. Okay. And all do you know, nurse visits dropped back down to regular levels. And we said, okay. But again, that behavior demonstrated to me that these kids are willing and they want the books, you know, yeah, you they are just going for the books. They will make up excuses to get the books. And I said, so wait, I said, so the kids love the books and want them. I said, so you incredible people who've been doing this for 10 years, get wagons out and will foot traffic, you know, walk the community. I said, please sign me up for this team. How can I be a part of this? And that's how, how I got here. How many books do you think you've um, given out over, let's say the course of this year or 2020? Well, uh, we actually just ran those numbers. Um, just try to do some prep. You know, we have things coming up. But in preparation, you know, we've since the pandemic started uh, March to March, well, March to the end of April, um, we've given away more than 56,000 books. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 
And for me, I actually, um, I think the month of February, we gave away February of this year, I think it was 6,842. And then when I did the math, just for kicks and giggles per day, that came out to like 229 books per day if we were doing like that. So our efforts have doubled. They've more than doubled this year. This year alone, one of our targets was about 3,000 books a month to give away. And like I said, each month we've doubled that. And it's nice because the books aren't, you know, not to knock the library. My husband actually works for the library, so go libraries. But um, it's nice when you're able to have a book and take it home and you have ownership of that book. Absolutely. And, you know, I see it as a, a collaborative, you know, relationship because a lot of people and I'm, I'm just not a shot at the library or anything like that. They've been yeah. great. But a lot of times nonprofits get into this competitive dog eat dog. You're my competitor. I don't think like that at all. You know, for me, the mission comes first. And if our mission is helping kids read, yep. then the library is one of our biggest friends when it comes to that, you know? So they've been great. And what happens is, you know, we are limited by the books that we have on hand, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have donations and things like that, but we might have Harry Potter one, but we might not have the rest of the set at a certain time. Right. So what we're able to do is when we hear certain things, if we pique their interest on a certain topic or title, we can say, you know what? Over at the library, they have, you know, and we can kind of make that transition and, and make the bridge to that relationship. The mission comes first. Yeah. What, what's ahead for the Red Bookshelf uh, as we make our way through 2021? So what's next for the Red Bookshelf is three things. One, we are going to saturate the community with books the same way we have, you know, we've been doubling our goals each month. We're going to continue that trend. We're going to go crazy. We're going to be giving books out on, on the corners like they're newspapers. We're going to be giving. It's going to be insane. We're going to saturate the community with books. So that's going to happen. Um, additionally, we have this really cool thing. It's a father box. I'm a DC guy, so I'm, I'm Batman and, and everything all the way. And in mm -hmm. the comics, there's this magic box. It's called like a mother box or a father box. So we took it in a real life sense and we made one. Okay. And we put it together. And what it is, is it has a ton of games. And the games are all evidence-based, but they're also fun. So there's a, a memory game in there. But all of the words are sight words that kids should be knowing by, by a certain age. You uh -huh. know, there's a coder ring in there where we can send secret messages and the kids have to decode them. But even with that, they're not just singular letters. When you decode it, there's an ING and a ED. So you're learning how to construct words at the same time. Mm -hmm. But on the surface, that man sent you a message. You got to decode it. So it's okay. a fun way that the kids can exactly engage. So that's our second thing that our father boxes, we're going to send a fleet out this summer. So there's going to be camps. There's uh, the Rise uh, Refugee Center. They're going to have a box and they're going to be working with their kids. Great. We work with the city of Albany and their summer camps. And they're going to have father boxes and they're going to be working with their kids. Mm -hmm. So over the summer, that's going to be a whole other thing that goes on. The third part, probably the best part, because I'm here, you know, I can actually spend money on costumes now. <laughs> so we have purchased Batman gear, a whole outfit. My Nightwing, my Robin, he has one of his gear. So we're going to be out in costume. I'm climbing on buildings. I don't care what has to happen. It's going to be great. 
But imagine when Batman is on the roof of your school and you have a father, like, it's going to be great. So, so you heard it here first. We will have Batman sightings in Albany. Shh. All right. Don't all right. <laughs> we'll keep our eyes peeled for that. That is awesome. That is great that you're, you're willing and able to do that. And the kids, I'm sure, will have so much fun with that. Absolutely. And in all honesty, you know, the only reason I'm able to do these things is because I found other superheroes, you know, I have other people that I work with and I surround myself with who put the mission first, who mm -hmm. care about the kids, who don't care about the ego, the weird stuff for the budget. It's no, how do we help the most people? That's the only question that matters. So with our group, our, uh, our league, or maybe we're a league of sorts, you know, um, we're going to work and we're going to save the city. I do want to ask you this. People don't usually connect reading, literacy, organization with some of the, the violence that's been going on in the city over this past year. We had a pretty violent summer last summer um, in Albany and really all around. Is there some mission there that you want to make a dent and, and do some outreach or programs and get more people involved? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So my thoughts, um, I'm from Albany, you know, born and raised. So when I see the things that happen, it's, it's you know, not only just a, a, a horrific and, and terrible tragedy that, you know, comes across my timeline, but it also comes with, I know this kid from somewhere, or I know the family, or I've worked with the family, or that's someone's cousin that I'm aware of. So in Albany and being from Albany, it just some of those things hit different, you know, they, they, they hit a little deeper, they cut a little deeper. So it's always been a question of what we can do. And a large part of it has become, we're, we're often reactionary. You know, we often, we see a shooting and then we're like, oh man, what can we do? And my thing is, you know, we have to change the future and working with these kids, you know, if, if a hundred third graders all believe they're superheroes, they're not going to grow up and shoot people, you know? And if we have 200 of these third graders who grow up and then they become cops and then they become the judges and they become our common counsel, it's not really a matter of, you know, one person committing an act of violence. We've changed the culture, which doesn't have the opportunity or the need for violence to occur. So for me, you know, there's a, a, a dual kind of focus. There's an immediate focus to give kids activities and things to get off the street. And it's like, you know, our city just got in about 85 million. Um, you know, the Amazon lady came by with millions of dollars and just started, you know, dropping money in people's accounts. And it's like, that's great. But if that doesn't turn into tangible opportunities for our people in this city, what is going on? The Amazon lady, are you talking about um, Jeff Bezos, like ex-wife, and she's been doling out a lot of money? I'll get the numbers on that and, and add it to this. But yeah, I did hear that she was donating a lot to nonprofits. Okay, here I am. Looked up Mackenzie Scott, a.k.a. Amazon lady, on News10.com. Scott divorced Jeff Bezos in 2019, and she received a stake in Amazon 
after that divorce settlement worth nearly $40 billion at the time. It's since grown to a number I still can't wrap my head around. She has pledged to give away half of her fortune to charities. So last December, she said she gave away $4.1 billion over four months to hundreds of community organizations. And in the capital region, they included United Way, Capital District YMCA, and the YWCA. Okay, now back to Paul. Yeah, so it's like 85 million came into the city, you know, federal money and stuff like that. And then I think she just came around, just dropped money, cool. But it's like, if we really, really care about what happens with these kids and these young people, and we want to, you know, provide alternatives, then we have to think in a proactive manner instead of just reacting all the time. Get kids off of the street, give them things to do, invest in them at an early age. We create an entirely different culture where one, it's not even okay to go outside and shoot in broad daylight because we got tons of stuff going on here. What are you doing? You know, where that's not even accepted. And then I want to create it where that's not, you don't even want to do that. It's not an option. It's not a necessity. There's an immediate sense, but there's a long-term plan too. Yeah. And then it gives other people a stake in the community and you feel pride in your community. And that's what, you know, a lot of the people that I work with, you know, these are our goals. So it's all about empowerment for us. Um, so Bowen Suchak over at um, YouthFX, you know, the whole idea is that we can amplify the voices of these young people and we can provide them a platform and we can provide access and we can empower them to tell their own stories. So I work with Carmen Duncan too, and she has Mission Accomplished Transitional Services where she helps young people figure out their next steps. Maybe it's college, maybe it's a trade, but whatever it is, we'll help you figure out that plan and empower you to just go take off. So in that way, we're, we're proactive in trying to provide opportunities and resources so that there's not as much to do on the other end. And bringing it back to reading, nothing more empowering than reading, telling your own story, learning about the world and different perspectives. And for us, you know, uh, a way that I try to make sure we embody that is here we do an event, it's called Writer's Walkthroughs. So what we do is I have an author, I have several authors, but one author in particular, he's from Schenectady. Mm -hmm. um, he's Jamaican and he wrote his own book and he also published that book. Awesome. So I got that book, which has Jamaican characters where they talk about Alki and Sawfish. Those topics are not in, you know, traditional school books or, or texts. So we can provide books with characters that look like the kids in the classrooms with that was written by an author who looks like them. And then I bring the author on to talk to the kids and say, listen, these are the classes I took. These are the classes I love. This is the best part about being an author. This is the worst part about being an author. Because if we provide that tangible career path, not just rhetoric, not just saying you can be anything, here's the book. No, 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 no. It's this guy is from Schenectady the same way you are. This is how he started. When he first wrote his draft, this, this is who he sent it to. And if we can be that intentional and provide those tangible ways out, I'm very excited about that. And we've connected with the New York State Writers Institute over at SUNY yeah. because I'm like, if we can really provide that tangible, you know, we're creating pipelines over here. That's awesome. That's huge. Anything else that you'd like to tell us? Um, yes. Save the city. Uh, what you do defines you. All that matters is how you move forward. All right, Paul. Batman, I should say. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your efforts. And if you ever need me, just put up the bat signal. 
I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. He was really fun to talk with. If you want to learn more about the Red Bookshelf, head to news10.com, and I'll talk to you all next week.